Let me pray for us uh, as we turn to God's word. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you fill us with your spirit and that this morning we would see the Lord Jesus more clearly, see your plan unfolding in salvation history uh, more clearly. And Lord, uh, in doing so, help us to repent, to be restored and to enjoy every blessing of following you. We pray in your precious name now. Amen. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 3, 11 to chapter 4, verse 4. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety? We have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God had raised from the dead, to this We are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Do keep that open in front of you. And you can see in, in the inside of the yellow service sheets, there's a bit of an outline of where we're going. Feel free to write notes on that as well. A question for you beginning this morning is who is the gospel for? What is, who is the good news for? The word gospel literally means good news. 
Uh, We talk about it a lot at this church. The news that Jesus is the resurrected, reigning ruler of all the universe. The saviour who went to the cross for our sin. That we might be forgiven and brought into relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. The God who created and sustains all things. And his spirit now lives in us, helping us to live for him. So the question, who is the good news for? This morning, we need to hear it. It's good news for me. It's good news for you. It's good news for our neighbours, for our friends, for our colleagues. It's good news for everyone. It's good news for Russell Brand. It's good news for Lucy Letby. It's good news for President Xi, for Trump, for Biden, for Sunak, for Starmer. It's good news for the fellow of the Sycamore Gap. How can we be confident of this good news? Well, remember the scene that we looked for, looked at last week. Peter and John have just gone up to the temple to pray. And another man is being brought up by his friends. He has to be brought up because he can't walk. He gets taken as far as the gate of the temple where he goes every day and begs for money. And he asks Peter and John, who have no money, but Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man is instantly healed. For 40 years he had never walked. And there he is, leaping into the temple, praising God. And now we get Peter's sermon that goes along with this sign. And just like the the day of Pentecost at the beginning of Acts, after Jesus' ascension, when the Holy Spirit fills the apostles and they preach in languages previously unknown to them, and Peter's sermon afterwards says, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. So this sermon today, on the healing of the lame man, is all about Jesus. And first we see that it is the crucified Jesus that heals this man. Let's have a look at it together. Uh, Verse 11, Peter begins his sermon to all the people who are utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's after this miracle, this sign. And Peter addressed the people. Look at verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk. You see, a great crowd has gathered. And in this moment, you can see Peter immediately points not to himself, but to Jesus. He could have been thinking, well, I could make a bit of money out of this. A bit of a minor celebrity all of a sudden. From denying Jesus and running scared to having a crowd waiting to hear his every word. Become a traveling healer. Get rich quick scheme. But no, he doesn't, does he? He says, this really doesn't have too much to do with me. It's not my power that has done this. I didn't do this. And he says, it's not my piety, my faith, the strength of my faith. He isn't some extra level super holy man that can be a faith healer all around. No, he says, don't look at us. Don't look at the man who's just been healed. Who should you be excited about? Can you spot it? Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. It is Jesus 
that did this miracle. Now, what was the crowd's opinion of Jesus? Well, Peter explains it here in verse 13. It's Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. This is the same crowd that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, after Pilate had said, I'm going to release him. They said, give us the thief Barabbas and kill Jesus instead. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. It's fair to say this crowd did not like Jesus. Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah, the chosen one, God's anointed savior, the king. And they killed him. Look again, verse 13. Peter is being very explicit here. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Verse 15. You killed the author of life. This is a very great problem for them. The promised Messiah that the prophets had long foretold of, who would save his people, bring them into the kingdom, rescue them. The saviour, hanging dead on the cross, all because of you. It's a big problem for them, and it's a big problem, actually, for us today. Because each one of us, in some way or another, will have denied the holy and righteous one. The Bible calls it sin. Each one of us will have sinned, ignored God, his way for our life, denied Jesus in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And in that way, we too, we might as well have been in that crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas instead. Peter says, it's not his power, but it is your problem. It is our problem. At least it would be. If it weren't for the wonderful words in verse 13, God glorified his servant, Jesus. His verdict on Jesus wasn't he should die, but that he should live. And so verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Jesus, he is the glorified king enthroned on heaven, and he continues to work. Remember the very first sermon in this series in Acts that we had? We said it could be almost called the Acts of Jesus, or the Acts of Holy, the Holy Spirit on this earth, sent by Jesus. Peter's saying, it's Jesus who continues to work. Verse 16, it's his name, by faith in his name, this has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter's saying effectively, this is proving that Jesus is truly the king. The crucified God is truly the healer, the Messiah who sent the Holy Spirit, the saviour, the one who healed this lame man and was crucified by you. It's all about Jesus. It's not Peter's power. He lays the problem at their feet. But he says, it is all about Jesus. And then from this sign, the healing of the lame man, Peter sort of zooms out, takes a step back. 
and shows that this was always God's plan. Jesus is both fulfilling prophecies about the Messiah and is indeed operating as the ultimate prophet because he's the ultimate revelation of God. And so verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. He's saying long ago, throughout the Old Testament, Peter says the prophets that we have read, the ones that we know, they all said God's anointed savior king, the Christ, was going to suffer, was going to die. And Peter's saying, you didn't know what you were doing. You were acting in ignorance. You thought you were killing Jesus because he was a blasphemer. But actually, you were killing him because God planned that to be the case. Because you are the blasphemers. You are the ones who denied Jesus. You are the ones acting in ignorance. But that was God's plan. So in the end of verse 21, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The Jews, the crowd that Peter is speaking to, they were waiting for the Messiah, anticipating for him to come. And Peter says, this is who Jesus is. He's the one you've been waiting for. It's the age of the Messiah now today. You can know it because here is this man who was lame and is now leaping and praising God. And then Peter, he shows that basically every stream of Old Testament prophecy comes together in the mighty river of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the suffering servant, verse 18. The the crowd had looked at Jesus dying on the cross and thought, if he really is God's son, as he's claiming to be, he wouldn't be so weak as to die on the cross. But they missed the point. God made it clear that Jesus would suffer before being raised and glorified. Remember when Jesus had risen from the dead, he spent time with his disciples um, and he opened up the scripture with them. You can read about it in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke and Acts is really volume one and two of the same book. So Luke, volume one, if you like, chapter 24, verse 26. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Even Jesus himself said it was actually necessary for me to suffer. And then verse 22, he is the suffering servant, but he's also the great prophet himself. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. At the end of Moses' life. Moses, the the greatest prophet that they'd known because the law came through him. At the end of his life, he says, there will come another prophet like me. Jesus, the great prophet. Peter says, that, that is who Moses was talking about. He's the truest revelation of God. So listen to him. There are some things that are very worth listening and paying attention to in this life, aren't there? One-way streets, very important. You don't go down the wrong way. 
uh, please mind the gap. That's the one that sort of fades into the distance until you're on the central line getting off a bank, and then you're really trying to mind that gap. Moses said, make sure you listen to the great prophet when he comes. Don't let him fade into the background. And Peter says, Jesus is the great prophet who has come. You may sometimes hear Moses' prediction of being a great prophet, of of a great prophet coming, being claimed to talk about Muhammad by, by Muslims. But Peter is very clear, and Jesus is very clear. This is the prophet we're to listen to. He's God himself in flesh, the truest revelation of who God is. So listen to him. And this is wonderful good news, isn't it? Why is that? Because the crowd here, they can know that in Jesus, all people will be blessed. Because in fact, he is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham. All the prophets have spoken, Peter says in verse 24. From Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. We're in the age that all of the Old Testament prophets have been speaking about. In verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families on earth be blessed. He's almost recounting those great promises, the very foundation of the faith of the crowd that he's speaking to. He's saying, God called Abraham. He promised to bless his descendants. And through his offspring, he said, all nations will be blessed. People from all around the world, every nation will be blessed because of Abraham's offspring. Peter says that Jesus is that offspring. And it's him, in him, in which all nations are blessed. He's saying the miracle shows that Jesus is the crucified healer, the glorified Messiah, the suffering servant, the great prophet, and the one through whom all peoples will be blessed. And now is the day of salvation. A new era has begun, the age of salvation. Now, this should have been cause for great celebration for this crowd that Peter is preaching to. This is essentially saying the very foundation of your lives, your faith, all that you do has been leading up to this very moment. They should be leaping for joy like the lame man who's just been healed. (laughs) Because he's saying that all of these promises of God are now fulfilled. But of course, a problem remains, doesn't it? The crowd there, (laughs) they're the ones who only a matter of weeks before were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They found out this was the Messiah that they had killed. Can you imagine the devastation if if they're taking on Peter's words and taking them seriously? We just killed the Messiah. Which is where Peter's application comes in to his sermon here. All the people must repent. The right response is repentance Look at verse 19 with me. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. It's how he finished his sermon on Pentecost in Acts 2, isn't it? Uh, When they heard what he said, they were cut to the heart, and and Peter and the rest of the apostles said, uh, they said to, to them, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And it's the same here. Before the gospel, the good news goes to the ends of the earth. In verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The blessings of repentance. What are those? It's first of all, verse 19, that sins are forgiven. Even the sin of killing Christ. Verse 19, they are blotted out. Completely forgiven and cleansed. That is how merciful God is. So maybe there's some sin on your conscience today. Something that you've done wrong. Some way in which you know that you have not glorified God. And you agonize thinking, well, I'm not sure God can forgive me for this. Or maybe you persistently find yourself again and again and again, falling into pride, losing your patience, holding a grudge. And you think, how many times will I ask God for forgiveness again and again and again? Well, look at what the Apostle Peter is saying to those who had just killed Christ. Repent and turn to Christ. There is forgiveness for you. More than that, there's restoration, refreshment. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance deals with sin. The the negative, if you like, completely wiped clean. But there's another blessing to repentance. There's the the more positive, the refreshment. Blessings showered from the Lord. Joy from the gift of the Spirit. And certainty and purpose for life in God's world. Assurance of life and hope after death. Family exceeding anything that we could ever wish for. Hope for the future. God takes away sin and he gives refreshments. And verse 20, that he might may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke. Peter here, he says, the future is incredibly bright. The Lord Christ, he's ascended, but he's coming back. And this is the future. Jesus will return and he will restore everything that has been spoiled. And we look around at this world and we see that it is a spoiled world. The sycamore gap tree fell in the middle of the night and it's going to take 200 years or so to grow again. Peter says, The future is incredibly bright. All of this spoiled world, the whole corrupted world, will be restored to how God created it. Perfect, beautiful, new heavens, new earth. It's a blessing of repentance. That's the future we look forward to. And repent is what many of the people there did. Chapter 4, verse 4, look with me. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So today... The big application for us is repent and be healed. Be forgiven and restored. That is the right response. We also see, though, that there's a wrong response, don't we? In chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. We'll look at the consequences of the arrest next time we're in the book of Acts. But maybe you're here today and you relate a little bit to 
the captain of the temple and the teachers and the priests and the Sadducees, who are greatly annoyed because of this teaching of Jesus rising from the dead. Why might this news have this reaction in you? Well, for the Sadducees and the priests, it was because it disrupted the order of things. Uh, No longer would people rely on teachers of the law, sacrifices of the temples, moral rules to be right with God. Instead, they rely on Christ. Perhaps that's us sitting here. We hear the gospel is good news, even for the worst of sinners, even for those who crucified Jesus. We hear the gospel is good news for Lucy Letby. We hear the gospel is good news for Russell Brand, for Xi Jinping. We hear that the gospel is good news for Vladimir Putin, and we're morally outraged. Well, if that's us, we need to see again that crucified healer. And here, once again, Peter's charge, it was you that denied the Holy One. We are not innocent, and we are in need of forgiveness. And praise God that the power of Jesus healed this lame man, showing that we spiritually lame sinners can too be healed. But maybe you're annoyed by this teaching simply because you don't believe it. This Jesus stuff, good for you, not for me. Don't tell me to repent. Don't tell me to turn from wrongdoing. Don't tell me what to do. Well, please, let me invite you. Suspend disbelief for just a little while and investigate Jesus on his own terms. Please sign up for the Hope Explored course starting next week. It's going to be a great opportunity to look at Jesus from volume one of Luke's work, from Luke's gospel. Or perhaps you're here today and you fear being a witness to the wonderful hope of the crucified Jesus, the wonderful Messiah, because you you fear being a cause of annoyance for your colleagues. You look at uh, Peter and John preaching here and, and annoying people, and you think, I just don't want to be annoying. Maybe you fear uh, being that guy. Well, we want to make sure in all that we do, humanly possible, to not be annoying. Like clearly, an invitation that has a, a real, no thanks, I do not want to come to your church's carol service, is a clear statement. Don't, don't go texting them every single day and inviting them again and again and again. It's going to get annoying. Don't pester people. But let's have it be the truth of the gospel, not... Uh, our own irritating habits, uh, that uh, the truth of the gospel that's held forth, the only annoyance be the truth and not ourselves. And if we're worried that we can't witness to Jesus without being irritating, let's just have confidence. Yes, some were annoyed. Yes, Peter and John were arrested, but many repented and were added to their number. Uh, Many repented and were added to their number. That's the story of Acts. It's the Spirit equipping his people to be witnesses to the gospel and many repenting and coming to life in his name. So who is the good news of the gospel for? It's for you. It's for me. It's for the very worst of sinners, those who cried, crucify him, crucify him. And that might as well have been us. Let's take a moment, reflect on this, and then we're going to pray together.